says, get that India, big boy. Hello and welcome back to another edition of The Tip Sheet. As always, I'm your host, John, also known as 4020. Joining me, as always, is my good mate, 60s. 60s, it's been a little bit between recordings, but it's good to have you back on the show, mate. Mate, it's been a big week or so for the Parramatta Reels in terms of the news. Uh, We're going to really dig into that in this episode. I'm looking forward to it, mate. Yeah, we've got plenty to talk about. A lot happens in, in a week or thereabouts in the rugby league world and We've got all sorts of things. We've got signings, re-signings, new faces. We've got rumours. We've got draw. We've got whew, we've got a very uh, busy show to talk about Parramatta stuff. So let's jump right into it, mate. The big news coming out last Friday, or was it last Friday week now? No, last Friday. Uh, after the club put out a statement sort of condemning all the media speculation, how they're, you know, they're pretty confident how they handle their business and they're not going to be drawn into uh, you know, all the commentary outside, they then followed up with a big one-two punch. Um, leading with the retention of a player that I think, I think we all sort of thought was gone. Um, you know, Reagan Campbell-Gillard in the media a couple of weeks ago saying he was going to opt out of his, or via his manager was going to opt out of his player option and then test the market. And then here we are, wham, bam, thank you, ma'am. A three-year extension. The Eels lock up one of their big pieces in the middle. Yeah, absolutely, mate. It's um, I, I put my hand up and say I'd almost written Reg off as, as being one of the departures from the club. And, uh, I, yeah, it's, I guess, looking back at it in, in retrospect, there's a couple of things. I mean, first of all, we have to, and to use the cliche, trust the process. <laughs> and there is very much a process that goes on with contract negotiations. The Eels explained that from their perspective, the process is to not talk about what happens in negotiations. That It's almost from, like attorney-client privilege, right? They're trying to respect the player in the, in the process. Absolutely, absolutely. So when I look back on what has happened uh, around Reg's contract, I, I look at that as him basically achieving a more definitive contract for uh, the three years following 2022. And when you consider that the those... Um, he had two option years, a player option, then a club option. And really, if he activated the the player option, he's then subject to the club option, whereas now he has a definitive contract taking him through till uh, the end of 2025, which it probably starts to get to the point where he might be considering giving uh, getting to the end of his career mm-hmm. at, at that point in time. So I think looking back on it, he, he made a good move from his own career perspective. I've got no problems with players making the most out of their career. Obviously, you'd like to see some loyalty towards the club. However, it's a business from their perspective as much as it is from the club's perspective. And um, I think he's, he's managed to get the right outcome for himself. And it was, from a fan's perspective, it was almost an unexpected bonus to have Red locked in. So, I look. I think it will mark the announcements of other extensions, and we're going to talk about the rumored stuff and that that's going on at the moment. Um, but I do want to make mention of uh, Fox NRL's reaction to 
the Parramatta statement that was put out. I, I wrote about it in the Bumpers Up column. Mate, that was one of the worst pieces of journalism I think that I've read in some time. Yeah, just in terms of just missing the mark and um, being erroneous and, and blatantly erroneous. I mean, they they literally said that the Parramatta were disrespectful towards the media and then included the Parramatta statement as part of the as part of their article in which there was no disrespect nope. um, thrown towards the media. In fact, just said the media's got a job to do. And our job is to is to have is to be respectful of the process, yeah, they, and you know, like it, they labelled the Parramatta statement as bizarre. I thought it was it was actually um, a very uh, uncomplicated statement, one of the more uncomplicated statements media uh, releases that you would read. I, I just I I don't get it. I you know, obviously there's a clickbait element, but it, I mean, you find clickbait in the headlines that are there and there was certainly clickbait in their headline but it, they just continued with it in the in the article itself it it smacked of someone who wrote it and it's the you know staff writers uh, yes yeah, staff writers uh, but it, it smacked of someone who has an issue with the eels writing it almost like it was vindictive in what they wrote so i was overjoyed when they were able to follow up. I'm talking about the Parramatta Club. Were able to follow up with a series of uh, appointment announcements. Well, that I, would, I do want to credit the club there, whether it was Mark O'Neill, Josh Drayton, whoever else is involved in those media release or sequence of media releases. They played it masterfully because that initial release certainly opened up the. I'll, I'll use you know counterpunch from the media very loosely. Like they managed to reply, but it wasn't much of a counterpunch. At which point, the club then dropped both the. Uh, Reagan Campbell Gillard retention and another big piece of news which we'll get to shortly in, you know, a fantastic well one, two, bam, you know, wham bam, thank you, ma'am. Uh, you know, sort of proving their point. You know, we've been getting stuff done in the background while you guys have been, you know, dragging out all these rumors in the papers. Case in point, the play that the media had, you know, and fans, media, everyone had sort of written off as leaving the Paramount Reels for certain. Reg, he's back for, you know, not just the duration of his part, previous contract, but next year on top of it. So huge, huge retention for the Eels there. Uh, you know, RCG coming off a career year where he was just incredible, um, both on both sides of the ball with the you know rucking up from the middle and in defence. You know, just such a, an enforcer for the ruck and alongside Junior, who we expect to be re-upped shortly. You know, not you no know, making confirmations, but you know, just sort of trying to read the tea leaves. We think that Junior should be, uh, um, you know, part of that re-signing crew very shortly. That gives you such an incredible core in the middle to build around, and it lets you, you know, use younger guys uh, that are going to be cheaper in the cap. It lets you, you know, use experienced veterans or genuine veterans like Makazi Makatoa to supplement that forward pack. So a huge building piece there in the middle for the Parramatta Eels. Yeah, I, look, we have certainly got a number of players on the roster that you would call value players, and uh, Maka is definitely going to be one of those where he's just made that transition from a second tier uh, contracted player to a top 30 contracted player and uh, we saw the value that we got out of him on the playing field and there's also value in the um, the level of contract that he would have signed with the club to have an NRL deal um, 
28 turning 29 next year it's he's going to give he's going to give some service because he's he's not going to be burnt out by years of NRL football he's he's someone that we saw in his approach to the football he he's just loves being out there on the field and his his numbers that he generates where his game is is very straightforward he tackles everything he can and takes as many hit-ups as he can and there's a role for that in the game in the in the middle forwards and i think he does it quite well yeah, and, and having someone like Reg and Junior anchoring that pack means that guys like Makahesi and guys like Oregon, guys below that, because you know there's a number of young prospects, whether it's a, a you know young man like Davey Hollis or even below that, you've got guys like Caleb Toey, you know, they're going to have a figure at some point in the future. That You can have those young pieces ready to use or deploy in the NRL because you've got you know a locked-in one-two front row rotation. So very happy to see Reg re-upping of the club. Um you know, there's not much else to say there. He was just phenomenal for us and has been during his entire tenure here. So really looking forward to him playing out the uh, rest of his sort of peak, really. Like you said, 60s, this last con- this is like his last prime contract. He might stay in the NRL beyond that, but it'd be, I assume, like a sunset contract somewhere else. So this is his, you know, really the last of his great years in the NRL, and that's really exciting. So good to see him locked in. Let's move on to something a little bit more controversial, I suppose. Uh, it came out earlier this week that the Eels were linked to Curtis Scott looking to throw the troubled uh, centre, former was it former Cronulla Shark Jr., former Melbourne Storm and former Raider uh, back a lifeline. And uh, since today, I think Andrew Voss has come out and said that it's now a done deal. I believe that the Eels have picked up uh, Curtis Scott. I'm not sure the terms of the deal are until you, know, you get a bit more coverage. But this one is, like I said, going to be a bit controversial 60s because on the one hand, Scott's done some very stupid things. Um, he's been a repeat offender across a couple of clubs here. On the other hand, the Eels are somewhat of a good, a great sort of uh, rehabilitation home for a lot of these troubled players. We've got a, a long history under Brad Arthur of turning around guys of uh, far more checkered past than Scott. Um, and in, in Scott's uh, scenario here, I believe he's been attending uh, Alcoholics Anonymous. I believe he's been seeing a psychiatrist so, like I said, I can understand why people might be upset about this because he's you know done a, a, sh- a slew of you know boneheaded things, but the club does have some goodwill banked here. So, what's your stance on this, mate? A, a talented back, but he's been a troubled individual off the field. Yeah, this has been one where there hasn't really been any smoke, or well, not too much smoke coming out of the club itself. Again, it's a it's a case of the club keeping any negotiations behind closed doors. The fact that it's starting to get out there in terms of Vossi declaring that it is a done deal, it tends to suggest that it's it, it might just be the case. Um, I am for this signing with respect to um, look, I, I, like you, I understand why there are people who uh, object to, to the signing. My understanding would be that any the way Parramatta go about their contracts nowadays is they do some due diligence. They they weigh up what a person is going to bring to the club in terms of their character and who they are. So, if the Eels have signed him as indicated, we know that they would have gone through some checks and balances and and looking to see what 
positives are going to be there and any of the areas that have been issues, what, how is that being addressed at the moment? How will it be addressed going forward? And, and obviously that's a key part is how will it be addressed going forward? My guess would be that it's given that it would be a lifeline contract that it's probably going to be salary cap friendly mm -hmm. for the club itself. You're talking about a player who is looking to take what could be his last opportunity in the NRL to make something of a career within the code. We know he's got the talent. That's been evidenced by the fact that uh, the Storm took him into their system from the Sharks he, he, and and that he played in... Uh, he did play in a premiership-winning team, didn't did he not, as part of the Storm? Um, but, look, I, I'm, I'm for it because we've got some talented young backs coming through the pathways right now. But we've spoken before about if we went into next season where the back line consisted of Hayes Dunster, Will Penasini, Wonga Blake, and one of the younger Parramatta backs mm -hmm. on, the, uh, on the other wing. Um, and we're obviously talking about uh, either um, Sam... Some, yeah, Sean Russell, Samuel Loise. Sam Lewis. Sam Luizio or Sean Russell. And then, you know, mate, there's like a few, maybe one or two other real outside outside uh, bets there uh, beyond them, sorry. Yeah, you, yep. you're you a little bit skinny in, in A, just depth in general, uh, B, yep. you know, NRL experience, which is a, a big factor. So, yeah. Yeah, that, that's, and that's the that's the point I'm trying to make. It's, it's not a question of um, do those players lack in talent. It's a matter of, you start to look at the combined NRL experience and what Hayes has got 14 games. Uh, what's Will got five. Um, yes. Sean's got, Sean's got two and Sam's got one. And that's not a, a huge amount of experience to put around Wonga Blake. Now I know that you could also be um, looking at uh, Wonga Blake changing spots to the wing and Tom Opechik going into the centres and then you've got a little bit more experience there. But, um, and and let me also clarify as well that signing Curtis Scott doesn't necessarily mean that he starts the year in first grade. No. What it does immediately is it adds NRL experience to the squad itself. Now, the Eels might decide to go into the season with a relatively inexperienced back line. They might decide to um, go with Wonga in the centres or might decide to go with Wonga on the wing. We don't know what their plans are. The, the pre-season is going to help some of that unfold. But by adding experience and talented experience to the squad, you give yourself options. And if you haven't got experience in your squad, well, your, your options are limited. So I, I would, I'm for providing this opportunity uh, for Curtis Scott from the Eels, uh, from the depth perspective for the Eels. And who knows, We've, as we talked about before, as you just alluded to, we've got some runs on the board when it comes to giving players opportunities that 
they mightn't have thought were possible. Yeah, we're well, going back to what twenty fourteen when Brad inherited you know, Ricky's squad. Way back then, you had Manu Ma'u, Kenny Edwards. Both those guys turned their careers around big time there. Uh, Suo Matangi. Uh, after that, you had Kirisomi Avaa. More recently, Bryce Cartwright. Um, and you know Danny Wicks. Danny, Danny Wicks, Wicks too. Wicks, yeah, exactly. Former jailbird there, Danny, who you know completely uh, rebuilt his career there in, in incredible fashion. So there is and and looking at that, I think right now, you know, knock on wood, the strike rate is pretty much hundred percent. You know, they've. Uh, in terms of these guys that went on to play for the Eels, these guys have all, you know, figured themselves out, and it's been uh, a, very much a rehabilitation process at the club. So, I think Brad Arthur's earned, you know, a bit of a reputation there in a good way. You know, he's a guy that he's been, you know, built as a player's coach, and certainly in this regard, he's helped these guys get the best out of themselves and turn themselves around some some pretty dark spots. So, look, like I said, you can understand why there'd be objections to picking up Curtis Scott. He's done some very silly things. Um, and he's been a you know repeat offender uh, off the field, but uh, if if the the report is true and he is you know attending Alcoholics Anonymous and he has been seen a psychiatrist and it's not just you know paying lip service to that sort of the way we've seen uh, in some recent NRL punishments where it's you know a three week course and they're they're apparently re, you know fixed. If um, Curtis has actually been helping himself because that's what it's about, then yeah, I can understand why the club's going to take a punt here. And the club obviously has faith in their own uh, player welfare department as well. It's mm-hmm. a, it's an area that uh, Dave Gowers uh, put himself into. Now, I know he's been in the education field within the player welfare, but um, you know, he certainly has a role within the club there that's probably growing. It's probably growing with the recent departure of Dean Feeney from the club, mm-hmm. who also worked in uh, player welfare. We've got the Rev, who uh, does an yep. outstanding job. Within the club, he was, and he was part of the the bubble that went up to uh, Queensland this year um, to help look after the players. So, um, look, I think given the the strong track record of the Eels Welfare Department and the fact that BA is a coach that he's not afraid to to say to players what the things that need to be said. In in fact, I mean, you you mentioned Kenny Edwards, and and Kenny still had some some personal issues which ended up bringing about his departure from the Eels. And the thing was that um, the Eels never backed away from uh, insisting on uh, on Kenny's behaviour being the right thing. And he, in a, an article over in, the, um, over in the Super League, Kenny Edwards spoke about how he was at first offended by BA just putting blunt truth on him about needing to be better in his personal life. And he said that he like he now respects just how much he needed to be told that. Um, I think the, the quote was around, you know, like, you, you know, you're a good father, Kenny, but you need to be better. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, that's, that's some harsh words that are said to someone about themselves else, you know, like about them as a person. And he respected that. And, and I think that's part of what uh, is important to BA is that he gets, he gets people that he wants, he, he has a genuine interest in making players better people. And that's a, that's a special quality for a coach. There's some coaches who are renowned for that, um, I think 
uh, Wayne Bennett's been renowned Very for. Much so yeah, that's one of the first names that comes to mind yeah, when you think of yeah. <clears throat> um, Craig Bellamy, um, and and Jack Gibbs is going back from a Parramatta perspective. You yeah, haven't spoken Jack- to the Parramatta legends that we've been you know been privileged to. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, and and I had the had the privilege uh, more recently of um, of meeting and chatting with John Money. Um, after a Parramatta game, and I, I'd just let you know that you know he, he again is another example of someone who um, is just a quality person, and it, and it's important to him that people are, are, are quality people. He 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 went above and beyond for a special fan after a, after a game um, last in this last season, and I won't go into the details now. But you know when you when you you know that you you've got coaches who have that quality about them that they're they're the sort of coaches that get success in in um in their teams now whether that delivers a premiership success in a number of those cases yeah it has um but from the Parramatta perspective it's taken our club to a better place the way that BA has been uh with the players and certainly those within the club know how important Brad is to the organisation, not just from that playing perspective, but from a whole club perspective, the role that he plays. So um, uh, it, it wasn't a surprise to me at all that he was his contract was extended. And, and I think he can do something for, for Curtis Scott if it, if it does come to pass that Scott is joining the club. So, yeah, definitely something to monitor in the preseason, which you'll be on very soon, actually. We'll get to that at the end of the show. But yeah, Well, okay. mate, I guess if the club doesn't, um, if we don't get a confirmation out of the club fairly soon, I, I would think that Curtis Scott would be one of the first, uh, in, in in the first group of players back to mm-hmm. back to training. So makes, I guess we'll find right, out pretty to, soon. To acclimatise himself to a new setting. So that's definitely something to monitor in the preseason. There's no doubting his talent. He's a representative centre at his peak um, and he's still quite young. So uh, there's definitely uh, something worth investigating there in terms of the football stuff. So uh, knock on wood, hopefully Curtis can sort himself out and help. hopefully the club can, you know, like you said, 60s, coach him in being the best person he can be as well as the best player. <clears throat> but it's not just NRL news that was confirmed recently. The NRLW also got a bit of a boost, some experience coming to them by way of Matty Studden, who's going to be joining them for the, well, I say the 2022 season is actually two 2022 seasons because of the way COVID impacted the uh, 2021 season. So she'll be joining us for at least the first half of 2022. Um, it was announced this week. That's a good pickup for the NRLW. Add some experience, add some uh, playmaking nows. And uh, it's another exciting addition to a team that's building quite nicely, it must be said now, 60s. The, I, I think one of the more interesting things, first of all, uh, I shouldn't skip over this because I was going to launch into talking about the um, that structure of the NRLW. But um, yeah, great signing to get Matty Studden, highly experienced halfback um, at representative level as well as NRLW level. So being able to bring that experience into the spine is going to be critical for the team and team cohesion. Um, she would have played with a number of the girls that have already um, signed with the club. So, uh, again, it, it's it's an exciting build-up. And we will have an NRLW guest with us next week. So I'm quite excited about that. We'll just, we'll just keep a little bit hush-hush at the moment about who that is. But we'll have an NRLW guest to talk about 
um, the Eels build-up and uh, what lies ahead and um, talk a little bit about her background. So that's something to look forward to for people who listen to the podcast. But what I was going to say is, uh, in relation to, you, you just spoke about the chances of the Eels this season. When the NRLW basically went about making everyone free agents, didn't they, with um, with regard to contracts? Mm-hmm. So they gave the new clubs the uh, opportunity to be competitive right from the start. Because if you're if you were recruiting, if you were starting a club and all of those players were unavailable because they were under contract to previous clubs, there would, n- would not have been the balance that they're probably going to get in, the, yeah, no in the strength of all the teams this year. So we're expecting, um, as a new club, to hit the ground running because the Eels have been able to recruit quality um, elite players for yeah, their, looks like they're their build, they're inaugural a strong season. Pack. And now they've got some experience and quality across the back line and the playmakers. So um, with Dean Witters at the helm there, very excited to see how the girls go in the first half of 2022. And then obviously there's a bit of going to be a bit of chaos for the second half because there's going to be a lot of free agents in the same year that will then play uh, again. So that's uh, something for all the clubs to keep on top of, obviously Parramatta included. So, but yeah. What's your thoughts? Um, are they, do they need to come up with a different name for the two competitions next year? Well, like they can't call it the twenty twenty. You can't, yeah. Print. So they might create the abridged, like you know, twenty one twenty two season, and then the twenty twenty one, the twenty twenty two season. I, I don't know. It's a uh, it's a little bit like the cricket calendar, right? When the you you bleed across years because you play in the summer. Um, this one, you know, we've had this year's competition uh, pushed into next year. Uh, so I don't know. They're going to have to figure out some sort of compromise on the naming because you're going to have two twenty twenty two champions as it stands, which is going to be very very odd for the history books. Yeah, and uh, look, I'm I'm glad that they're starting ahead of the NRL because it gives them that profile of of standing uh, in their own right as a competition, the NRLW. Um, we're only getting to see one match played at at uh, Combank Stadium. That's probably the looking at that at the draw that they released. That's probably the the. Uh, the only thing that's a, a bit of a downside there. Yes. Um, but, um, yeah, it, exciting times to to look forward to there and uh, seeing how they come together as a new team against all the other teams that are coming together as new teams. And we're going to talk to Joey Grimer uh, a little bit later in this podcast, which I'm really looking forward to because there's exciting pathways stuff that's been developed yeah, for a lot, a lot the women's game. Mm-hmm. A lot cooking so, for the pathways in general, but especially for the girls, which is, as, as we've been on for a long time on the tip sheet and on TCT, it is so exciting, isn't it? And it's been, you know, the, the fastest growing area of Rugby League. So lots of reasons to be excited for the NRLW, lots of reasons to be excited for the pathways. And now there's a lot of reasons to be excited for the 2022 coaching staff because the Eels, they went out shopping, mate. They, um, they've added quite a few names there. So part of that Big Friday uh, sequence of uh, press releases that we saw starting with the... Uh, the sort of the general media and uh, whatnot declaration about how they handle their processes, followed by Reg, was also uh, featuring a coaching appointment or series of coaching appointments of the club going outside to get a few consultants, being Paul McGregor, who was obviously the former uh, Dragons coach, but also current New South Wales Blues assistant coach, and Michael Ennis, uh, who we assume will be a specialist spine coach or, or dummy half coach, uh, sort of replacing the departed Andrew Johns, who's gone to Newcastle. 
So uh, two senior uh, coaching pickups there, and there's another coaching pickup we'll get to shortly. But what's your take on this? Because Ennis, I think, uh, as much as I grumble about him as a commentator, I like Mick frustrates me. I love him as a panelist. I feel he's always great for the conversation when he's on a panel. I don't like him as a commentator, but I also uh, I think I respect his game, his gameplay nous. He was obviously a very savvy hooker. Uh, really came into his own in the later years of the Bulldogs and, and then at the Cronulla Sharks and went on to win a premiership. I feel like he is a player that uh, understands the game and perhaps can convey it pretty cleanly too. Yeah, and you get the sense that he's got the, that confidence to back his decisions, his calls mm-hmm. with things. You That therefore means, I think, uh, from a coaching uh, consultant perspective, it's going to be very decisive in what he brings. There's, there's not, not going to be anything wishy-washy about about him. It's now whether there's a little bit of nuanced dummy half play that he's able to add to Reed's play. Um, how much work he does with uh, the developing players within the pathways um, that'll be interesting. Again, I'm looking forward to getting up to training at Kellyville to see the sessions that he runs it was um it was enlightening watching joey johns do his coaching there just to see um how he went about it he he really went through a process of stripping it back to the absolute basics with passing techniques before uh building back up to the more advanced uh plays the um set plays um some of the ways the 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 players would link so um it was a it was a combination of skills and tactics that Joey Johns was introducing if i'm honest i would have liked to have seen another year from Joey but i understand um his departure and why and why there was a departure that happened there um but with Michael Ennis i think he's going to be the the real hands-on, um, getting in there at some sessions. I'm not sure about uh, McGregor, whether he's going to be a, a a resource in situ or a, a resource for people to be in contact with mm-hmm. to um, either the players or coaches, whatever the case may be. But there's always something to be said about new voices. And there have been... Uh, supporters out there who'd been saying, "Okay, look, where we we just need some new voices within the club just to keep freshening things up." And my point had been, "Well, look, it was only two years ago that the the club added Joey Johns, Trent Elk, and Ryan Carr uh, as as part of the uh, the staff there, which is they're all new voices. They all are involved in Eels training, right? Because that's what you're after. You're after." The, the voice is there for the players, so they're listening. They, they're being asked to do different things because of the of new people involved. And um, it's it, you don't necessarily have to get changes in assistant coaches. You just, although that does happen from time to time, right? But what you what it you get an advantage from is to still have some new ideas and. Um, different voices for the, and a bit of variety for the players as part of 
as part of their routines. And I know that the coaches, and BA's always insisted on this, is the coaches all have to come back with something different for each year, something something to challenge the players, mm-hmm. something to take the players to a different level so that it's not you're not going there like I, I could go there and I could say um, the things that are different about every year of pre-season that I've watched because every year of pre-season has been different, whether it be the physical preparation or, or when the ball skills have been introduced to the the preseason or the or the drills that they've been asked to do it's all, it's all been different so you you need to aim for for because it's that old saying if you keep doing the same thing you're going to get the same results aren't you yeah so um you might have the same coaches but you're looking at different things that are that are being done as soon as you bring in these new consultants you're adding new voices and you keep it freshened up it's just like new players help to freshen a place up as well and the club's going to have some new players that will join in the preseason in terms of, you know, that pre the larger preseason squad. But really, it's a lot of the same players are going to be there from 2022 as what were there in 2021. It was the nature of the beast. There was a lot more retention focus rather than recruitment focus. So I I think it's good to have those new voices there in the uh, on the coaching staff and and maybe add. Uh, that different perspective that could make a difference, a genuine difference to the club. Yes, sir. And in McGregor's case, I am interested to see what his role will be. That'll be something we'll have to wait and see. But uh, oftentimes you'll see uh, coaches that potentially struggle as a head coach or or don't quite flourish as a head coach, but uh, find a real good niche as an assistant coach or as a consultant. Hopefully that might be McGregor for the Eels. So you have to wait and see how that plays out. But yeah, um, that was the club's official announcement on Friday. Today, credit to the mole. Um, he's jumped um, on a on a developing story here, and he's announced who the Eels' new Jersey flag coach is. Um, and the Eels managed to go out and get a pretty, relative to the Jersey flag, a pretty high-profile recruit, 60s. Um, Simon Wolford's going to be joining the club as the 2022 Jersey flag coach, and that's a bit of a get for the Eels because uh, Wolford's been around and, and coached at you know higher levels in flag, and he's come back to Parramatta and a chance to ignite their 21s program. Look, I think the mole is on the money here because we we'd had a bit of mail that we were going to get a very experienced former NRL player that would be taking on the role, and Simon Wolford certainly his his resume fits that that bill. It matches that up, so it looks like that the mole's on the money there in that announcement. Um, yeah, it's, it's, well, um, uh, it's Wolf, Wolford obviously a, a long tenured NRL player. But he's uh, coached Graydon Canberra. He's coached the Giants in the Super League, Huddersfield. And uh, last yep. year worked as an assistant coach for the New South Wales Cup team at Newcastle. So he's certainly got uh, you know the CV above uh, the, the 21s. This is a, a big get for them and a chance to uh, put together, hopefully, a, a big campaign next year. And you'd also suspect that for Wolford with that resume to come to the Eels, that his role's going to be a little bit more than just being the Jersey flag coach. Mm-hmm. And uh, maybe that's something that um, we might be able to get um, uh, if, if, if uh, Joey Grime is able to speak to, to expand us on it, yeah. about that. Yeah. In this, in this podcast, we're, um, we uh, will have him in the second half of the podcast and we're not going to preempt anything that we uh, will discuss with, uh, with Joey. And, and obviously he's, there's, 
things that uh, they they might not yet be uh, they might still be working through in terms of um, the role and the the scope of the role that sort of things to the point where we're not really able to discuss it in the podcast. But I still have to think that you don't bring in someone with that resume to to just coach a Jersey flag team. It's and and that's not meant as any reflection on people who coach the Jersey flag teams, but you know you're you're traditionally talking about something that you you're coaching. You're there to coach players at a time of the day where these players are. You know they might have jobs or they might be at school, whatever the case may be. So they've got um, they've got their other commitments. And training has to fit around what they, their other commitments are. So you're going to have you're going to have evening training, or or maybe a weekend session, especially during the preseason. So I think it's an inter- interesting appointment because I, I just couldn't see him taking on um, what is essentially an after hours or minor role. If you just talk about the the coaching of the uh, flag team itself. Yes, sir. But yeah, looking forward to that one. Um, and like we said, we've got Joe coming up, and hopefully we can speak about that uh, more. What was um, what what was uh, Simon Wolford's nickname? Was he the was he the original grub, and, he might, and then he he's might have um, been the original grub. Then the, the younger relative was called the germ. Or was that the? Let me just. Uh, no, I think he might be the germ. Or was that okay? Yes, I think he might be the germ. Yeah, Simon's nick Simon's nickname is the germ. Yeah, so. Uh, okay. That sort of comes to the territory of playing number nine, doesn't it? You're often the uh, the most uh, insightful, uh, and not the INS version, the INC uh, <laughs> player on the field. Um, well, it, isn't it interesting that the Eels would have both Michael Ennis and Simon, <laughs> Simon Wolford there to part of the coaching with, setup with with a, a young dummy half who's already been uh, noted as a a very good uh, verbal sparer. So <laughs> Reed's going to have a couple of the uh, most savvy and experienced uh, life coaches when it comes to being a crop on the field. Yeah, uh, it could be it could be an interesting generation of, um, <laughs> of eels dummy halves coming through at this rate. <laughs> um, but yes, yeah, so kudos to the mole for breaking that news. But jumping back to Friday when the club released that slew of our uh, PR uh, sort of work, um, and the last bit of great news that happened that day. And once again, this is a tribute to the work done on and off the field by the Parramatta Eels and the stability they've brought to the franchise is that uh, Awend has renewed uh, their tenure as a major partner or the principal partner of the Parramatta Eels for a further three years. So that's a, a huge piece of good news. Um, obviously, uh, huge for Awend as well. They get to be partnered with one of the, the best sporting brands in Australia. But, you know, it, it speaks to both sides there, the both parties, that it's been a, a fantastic relationship so far and, and looks to be building to something even bigger in uh, three more years. Well, if you you, you have, and I, I, again, this is something that I put in the bumpers up column, talking about destination clubs. And uh, the strong clubs are referred to as destination clubs in terms of players. We'd like to think the Parramatta is becoming that in, in, in terms of players as well. But there's also that corporate support side of things. And if we go back a few short years to... 2016 and the the lack of corporate confidence in the Eels brand that came out of the dramas around the salary cap. And then we jump to today where 
uh, we've got A-Land who are extending where I think we had every bit of space that could possibly have sponsorship on the on the Eels kit last year was taken. It was quite a, a, a sizable team of corporate support that was there. And that comes about, as you said, by having a strong club. Um, it's reflected... Uh, it, well, it, it's let's face it, it comes from having a team that is consistent in its performances, that puts themselves in headlines for the right reasons, that the people are talking about the Eels' premiership chances or finals chances, whatever the case may be. And then you've also got that backed up by the fact that the Eels have the largest member numbers in the NRL, nearly 30, around 32,500 members last year which was phenomenal and and i know the club's looking to grow that and, and continue to grow that going forward so um anyone that hasn't signed up as a, a member of course go visit the eels sites because they've got a lot of flexible ticketing packages now mm-hmm. so um there's opportunities for people to have uh, basically construct their own uh, membership package which suits their needs, uh, whether it be the number of games or or where they sit, um, or the or the actual uh, nominating the games that they want to attend. Um, I I really strongly suggest that uh, people jump in there because I think with the packages that are there, there's going to be some hot demand for uh, some of the those really flexible packages. So people should jump on there. But I, again. That's the value that uh, an organisation like A-Land gets is that they are partnering with a, a strongly supported club and a high-profile club. So, so it's fantastic news. Yeah, so fantastic can- A-Land, fantastic Parramatta, fantastic for the fans because having that sort of security at the top, that sort of uh, strength off the field means that you're going to be strong on the field. So, yeah. Very good for all parties involved, and that brings an end to sort of the uh, official uh, part of the podcast. Let's jump onto the rumor mill, mate. Get the uh, the old treadmill pump in there. There's a, a bit to talk about here. Some good, some bad. Um, we'll start with the bad, I suppose. Um, it looks like, according to the uh, the tea leaves and the media, that the Eels are set to lose one of their sort of breakout stars of recent times. Uh, it's expected, but it hasn't. It's gone a little bit quiet, but it's expected that Murata Niakore should be uh, linking back up with his old club, New Zealand Warriors. What's your take on that one, mate? Well, pure mathematics now, mate, that if you've got players that are looking for better deals, uh, increase in, in contract money, that and you've got a finite number that's associated with a salary cap where you can't go beyond that certain number, you know that you're going to have to lose a player, especially if that player is looking for um, a bigger return on uh, their their career. So uh, my my first thoughts when it was being raised about Murata was Murata's ties to the club were very, very strong. And, um, it, you know, he's really part of the Eels family, part of the Eels community behind the scenes. However, if what we're hearing in terms of the money that the Warriors are likely to throw his way... And duration. Yeah, and and the fact that New Zealand is, his, is where he's from 
and you, you know, you'd be talking about you know family and support networks back there. <clears throat> it's not going to surprise. I mean, I haven't. If if we've learned anything from the Reg situation, we learn not to not to assume. Yeah, don't jump the gun. <laughs> don't jump the gun. Yeah, wait for the process to be completed. Yeah. <clears throat> However, again, back to pure mathematics. You can't give everyone more money and expect to then be able to fit everyone in. Yeah, exactly. It just it's doesn't. It's not how works. Exactly. So there are there are going to be um, a couple of departures um, that. Well, I'm expecting it. There has to be a couple of departures. How that might be structured, um, however, could be interesting because. Um, you know, we we don't really know enough about the 2023-2024 roster and, and what that might be because we've got all these players that are negotiating for those seasons right now. Um, <laughs> who knows? There might be something that can be structured to work. Um, it, it, it could be that, um, you know, you, you get, um, if there's salary cap space next year, perhaps players get uh, paid forward. In their in their contracts, mm-hmm. so there's all sorts of permutations that can come about. But, mate, I, I'm if anything, I'm I'm probably now leaning towards the fact that we might have to say goodbye to Murata, sadly. Um, but again, I haven't given up hope there. Yeah, well, for all the talk in the media about it being you know either a done deal or very close, that was several days, if not a week ago, and it's been all radio silence since. So, like you said, you sort of you you expect him to to leave because of the circumstances. It is worth you know mentioning. Murata's turning twenty six next year. He's not old, but if if the duration that's been uh, rumored by the Warriors is true, this will be his close to his last major contract. So you know he's, he'd be setting himself up long term. So there's no dramas there. Like we said, we've always been about player agency uh, and you know trying to get the most out of your careers. That's fine. Um, so that's a, that's a big part of it there. Yeah, but you know, we are going to have to lose players, and losing Murata would hurt because of what we've seen as his journey here, right? He came to us uh, a fringe prospect out of the, the old jersey flag back when it was the 20s, um, kicked around in our as a development prospect in our New South Wales Cup team for a season and a half, uh, and then went from there and just took, you know, step by step, stride by stride to become the player he is now where he's, you know, gained a claim and renown across the entire NRL. So, well, mate, as you as you recall, he was a he was a, a player favourite for TCT. Oh, we we we, we were on we were on the Murata train mm-hmm. big time. Yeah, and it, it was impossible not to because when he was out there playing for then the Wenty Magpies, you know, he just brought energy, he brought enthusiasm, and look, him departing will be sad uh, if he does end up leaving. But it's also a testament to the player development systems in place at Parramatta. You know, here is a, a at the time a kid that you know, turned himself into an NRL rep-level player and is now going to cash in on the success there. And you know, it, it sucks to, to lose him potentially, but you know, it's a validation of our systems. It's a validation of the process at Parramatta. And, you know, and it's also a validation of the effort that Murata's put in. So you know, you, you, you're sad, but you're also proud in, in that sort of weird mix of things. Yeah, and, and I must say, he was, he was someone that provided the greatest entertainment, some of the greatest entertainment at training that I've witnessed over the years because there were no half measures with Murata. No, no, there's no, when, there's no second or third gear. It's all full throttle. 
you know, during during his first year there, there were times when you when you'd have opposed sessions within the team, especially in the build up to a game. So we're not talking preseason. Preseason opposed sessions are a different beast altogether because you've got sometimes the contact there is almost NRL level intensity. Sometimes I even think it, it crosses that because you've got players there trying to make a statement against each other and uh, there can be some ferocious collisions and, um, you know, and, they, and players can fire up in uh, in a big way. Uh, um, Stoney's one of my favourites for, he can bring the fire to <laughs> an opposed session. Um, but Murata in, in that first season, it just seemed like, Every every session, every opposed session, there was going to be something that happened in a collision with Murata. Whether he was making the tackle or whether he was carting the ball up, there was no like the players in a, in a season, uh, an in season opposed session. The forwards will often like they just surrender to the tackle, so there's no big hit because let's face it, you don't want a big collision three days before the match and having a player put out of action because he's got whacked by one of his own players in an opposed session. It's all about the, the structure of, of their attack or the structure of their defence um, and getting that right without actually carrying through with a big collision. Um, but Murata, he just had no half measures and you'd see him just charge the ball into the defence or deliver a hit and... It always seemed that when he was carrying the ball, the other players had come in and just belt him. And I, I asked Tim Manor one day, I said, well, what's the go with Murata? Everyone like seemed to belt him when he when he hits the ball up. And he just said, if you don't belt him, he belts you. <laughs> Got to give like, back as good just, as you get. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Like if, if, if you don't tackle him hard, he's actually going to belt into you in, the, in that defense line of training. It, he, he's made it toned down a bit over the years, but that was what really helped him to become one of our favourites, just watching him have that attitude at training. And the thing was, he was so humble about it. I, there was a couple of times I, I'd speak to him uh, when he first joined the club and I'd, I'd say to him, mate, that was an unbelievable session. He was like, he'd be like, oh, I don't know, I didn't think I did this well or that well or whatever. Like, he'd be, really, he'd be his, his own harshest uh, critic. So, um, yeah, and, and it took him over 12 months to make his NRL debut, <clears throat> and then he was eased into it. Like, it was uh, – he, he had limited game time. It was gradually built up. And essentially, he's become the player that, that he is as a result of his journey with the Eels. So the last thing we want is for Murata to depart. Um, he's one of our favourites. But as you said, we're, we're all for players being able to um, get the best value they can out of their career. And we'd love it to be with the Parramatta Eels, especially if they're made decent contract offers. But sometimes, you know, it's it's not possible to match the dollars that they're no. being offered elsewhere. And uh, speaking that might be the case. Speaking of that particular theme and also another young New Zealand back rower, um, it was also reported that Zai Papali he knocked back the initial offer from the Parramatta Eels, which I believe was uh, tabled as a $425,000 per annum extension for two years uh, at the end of his current duration. So it would mean that he would have been uh, extending to the end of, what was that, so 2023 and 2024. Um, so that was reported in the media last week. 
What's your take on that one, mate? Because it also came with a, a, a hint that the Tigers have $600,000 on the table for him uh, per annum, obviously. Uh, yeah, Isaiah sort of made you know made his name this year, was a, the breakout star, most improved player across the competition, um, earned a ton of plaudits deservedly. It was fantastic. Um, but yeah, the Mark O'Neill putting what, what I feel was a pretty reasonable offer on the table there. Um, you know, the... There's been accusations of the Eels being, you know, a bit happy to nickel and dime players at times uh, in their ability to try and, you know, maximise their cap value. Which, once again, we we talk about player agency trying to maximise value. At the same time, you, you, the clubs are also trying to be most efficient under the salary cap as possible. You know, you got to give. There's a give and take on both sides. There isn't there. It's a it's a funny little dance. But yeah, I, I thought that offer was uh, quite reasonable given that, um, you know, Isaiah was fantastic in 2021, but it's his first, you know, major year of production and. It was a contract that doesn't tie him down for a long time too. It's a two-year extension which brings him right into his prime for his next big deal. So how do you see this one playing out? Mate, I'm I'm feeling quite positive uh, about what will happen around ice. Now, my reasoning is that, first of all, I think Parramatta have him targeted as a key signing for the club going forward. Like, a, he, he's a genuine player of their future. So I think if there's a bit more to be squeezed out of Parramatta's offer, that might come about. Um, the other thing is, too, there are players who are good fits in a club. And conversely, there are clubs which are good fits for a player. And I think that's the scenario with Ice. He's... His career has has literally been found since coming to Parramatta. The way that he's been coached by BA, the way that he's been made to feel such an integral part of the club, the way that he's performed for the club, everything has, has been like a hand fitting into a glove. Mm-hmm. It, it's been the perfect combination for player and club. For that to not happen going forward would be a mistake for both parties. It'd be it'd be a mistake for the Eels to not pay him what he's worth in market value, but likewise, it'd be a mistake were his agent to agitate for uh, and to consider offers that are above the Eels offer because the chances are you're going to get a, a, a club or two that are prepared to go um, quite big for ice, given his form last year. But if, if we were to isolate, let's say, for example, the Tigers, and with respect to the Tigers, I can't see how he would benefit from going to a club that I think we all saw enough in that Tales from Tiger Town to know that there are some deep-seated issues there within that club. You go there, that's the great unknown. What's going to happen to your career is the great unknown. Um, I think that's fair. <laughs> I think uh, one of the few players to have their reputation enhanced since going there has been Adam Dewey. But I think he, he's quite a uh, he's a more than capable player, and I think he would be making the the same sort of impression no matter what club he went to. Um, 
because his effort areas are quite strong. Um, but yeah, that I mean that would be a mistake. I don't for a start. I wouldn't see Ice returning to the Warriors because what would have changed there in twelve months? I mean yeah. they've had a they've okay they've they've got had Nathan Brown come on board as as a coach, but did they play finals football? I know they've had the issue of being here during COVID, but is is the scenario likely to be any different for him were he to go back there to what it was before? There's going to be, you know, some same staff within the club. Um, yeah, I just don't, I just don't see it. I think, I think he's found his home at Parramatta. I think the club has found a player that, as I said, fits like a hand in a glove. And um, I, I, I feel positive that that, that'll be worked out. I really do. No, I, I tend to agree. I feel like that's uh, just a case of rejecting the first offer is not unprecedented by any means. You know, no. it's, uh, it's part of that song and dance we talked about. Players want to maximise their value. Clubs want to maximise their efficiency under the cap. The middle ground is always you know, somewhere they've got to meet. So you've you got a feeling that'll get done. And speaking of getting done, a developing story overnight, Reed Marnie seen having dinner with uh, Trent Barrett and Phil Gould of the Bulldogs. Uh, what's this one? His manager, Sam Ayub, giving us the, the full Ayub experience here, mate? Do you think Reed's uh, likely to re-up with the Eels or is he just trying to uh, get a free meal of the Bulldogs? Is there, you know, is there actual smoke here? How do we read this one? Well, look, he, I mean, he, he could have said to Reed, Sam Ayub, look, um, I've got a couple of interesting people for you to share a um, dinner with. Um, they're, they're quite entertaining after-dinner speakers. Um you know, let's let's go and uh, let's go and meet them, and um, that might have been all it was. You know, you don't know. Um, I'm sure that Gus has got many a story he could share that would entertain uh, it's, 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 people. Um, hard pressed to maybe, find someone with more stories about rugby league than yeah, Gus. Maybe Trent's talking about you know how one can you know maintain their youthful looks for as long as possible and earn the admiration of um, the. The, uh, of the rugby league world for for being the best looking coach in the NRL or something like that. I, I don't know. I mean, he's he's maybe he's got some sage advice he could offer over dinner. Um, on a look on a serious note, um, how surprising is this? If if a manager, as you say, like Sam Ayub, is is giving the typical service that he would give. You've got to think that any player that's in negotiations is at some point going to be sitting down and chatting with the coach or or the and or the club representatives of the of those that are put in offers or or shown interest. How you know? I mean, it's <coughs> most of the time they get to they try to meet discreetly. And uh, I, the photo that I saw, it was obviously taken by a patron who was in the, <laughs> the same discreet. venue. Yeah, discretion was definitely not part of the <clears throat> there. So, um, look, I've, I've known of different meetings that have happened with players over the years and things that players have said to clubs and, and what have you, and it hasn't worked out. Um, uh, you think a player's a definite for... for you know, oh look! I've known over the years players that have looked like they were definite to come to the Eels, but then something happens, and you know something. Happens, yeah, <laughs> because the process—it's all—it's all this process that we talked about. Um, 
you're going to field offers. And ultimately, do you know what? I actually take confidence from the fact that Reed is involved in a discussion. He's not just leaving it to the manager. Like if, if you think about it from that perspective, that's what he's doing. He's he's there. So if he decides to leave, you can't look at that and go, "Well, that's Ayub's fault," because Reed's been there and he's chatted with the the coach and the director of football of that club. If he goes, like if he was to go to the Bulldogs, um, I. Yeah, I take more uh, more positives out of him being involved in it rather than just saying, oh, I'm leaving that to my manager. Mm-hmm. I'll get my manager will help to make that decision. Well, yeah, the manager may well help to make that decision. The manager may well have facilitated that meeting. But the fact that Reed's in there listening to it means that he's going to be properly informed. Because how often <laughs> – you and I have discussed this in the past – how often do you hear stories where, and, and whether they're true or not, but they come through as stories about, oh, you know, player X wasn't given the full details of um, of this offer or that offer from his manager. Like you just you, yeah, exactly. you hear that all the time, you know. Or they, <laughs> There's definitely you know, breakdown communications at times. Exactly. So the fact that Reed's in on this process, you know, and he's going to be informed is is not just for the Eels, but just for, you know, player empowerment in general is a good thing. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, <clears throat> I'm not I'm not distressed by that at all. I'm, as I said, if anything, I, I, I take a positive from it because I think um, we're not going to be, I mean, look, we might be guessing as to what the outcome's going to be, but we're not going to be um, maybe throwing mysterious daggers at his at his player agent and thinking, oh, damn, you know, like this this bastard's got him away from the club. Um, no, look, their player agent's job is to is to get the best possible deal for the players. And, and if our deals are well apart from what the Bulldogs are prepared to offer, so be it. Mind you, I don't understand how the Bulldogs can be able yeah, to offer. Yeah, seemingly bottom of salary cap, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah I mean... They they they've got issues now without adding players. So yeah, let, let's just see how yeah, that look, evolves. Reed, Reed is an integral part of his team. He plays in the spine. You'd think that the club is you know prioritizing getting him locked up. So you know until there's something more substantial, I feel like it's like I said, the Sam Ayub experience. It's also the manager doing his due diligence, and you know they're, they're every right to go out and and sort of fill out the field and see what's out there. But you know. That there is a great reason for Reed to stay at Parramatta. It's a premiership contending roster. And you look you look at the windows of opportunity here. He wants to be the next Queensland hooker. Your best chance of doing that is not at the Bulldogs. He, to beat out Harry Grant, you want to be at the Parramatta Reels. And if you become the next Queensland hooker, the, every chance you're going to be the next Australian hooker because uh, Damian Cook's getting on as well. So it, there, there is a whole domino sequence of events here for Reed that you know could be decided by where he goes. So I tend to think that we'll get it done. And if, if he does leave, you know it's going to have to take something significant to prime away. That, that's the same with Murata. It's the same with all these guys. You know, we've got a tight-knit community. We've got a fantastic club here. The players enjoy it here. And that's not to say you can't lose talent, but it's going to, there, there will be a premium that teams have to pay. Yeah. 
And yeah. uh, the last little bit of uh, rumours, this one being a potential signing, um, this one has sort of trailed off rec- in more recent days, but it did uh, sort of pop up uh, last week. Bailey Simonson, 60s. Uh, he was looking for outside back depth, particularly at wing. We mentioned it earlier this podcast. You know, you've got very little there in terms of proven wingers. Uh, you've got uh, Hayes Dunster, who broke out in 2021 himself. And beyond that, you've got a couple of rookies in Russell and Luizu. Uh, you know, beyond that, you've got like flyers like Naiduki, uh, whether you throw Wonga Blake into the mix as a winger too. You know, there's nothing real concrete there. Simonson, sort of the uh, the prototypical, uh, you know, just NRL winger. He's, he's not particularly flashy, but does a good job, can feel in at fullback. Um, I don't know how likely this is to, to go through now, but the fact that it was mentioned in the media a couple of times, definitely noteworthy. And it's a pickup that, like I said, not flashy, but it certainly... Uh, checks off a lot of the boxes you want to see. I like it, mate. That's uh, I'll. <clears throat> I don't think there's too much I can add to what you've just said there. Um, I like it. I think there's a bit of smoke, more than a bit of smoke about it. Um, and if it's something that comes to fruition, um, yeah, certainly get my tick of approval. Yeah, that, add, that, a lot I of like him as a player. I think yeah. he's. I think he's a talented player. I think he's this um, the type of winger that would be very good within the club and the way we play footy. So, um, yeah, I'm for it. Mm-hmm. No, it'd be a, a really solid pickup for the 2022 season and beyond if it does eventuate. So definitely one of those watch this space uh, pieces there. And that brings us to an end of all the rumour mongering. We're going to quickly close out our uh, little chat before we can get on to Joey the back in the podcast with a look at the NRL draw in brief. Um, revealed on Tuesday, both the NRL and NRLW, so we'll cover both those there. For the NRLW, we'll jump onto the girls first. Like you mentioned, 60, it's really disappointing that there's only one game to be seen at Combank Stadium, which was formerly Bank West, which was formerly Western Sydney Stadium, um, and that's up against the other new inception team here, the uh, Gold Coast Titans. So the two expansion teams meeting at Combank for round three, Sunday the 13th of March at 1.45 p.m., uh, we do open the season up against Newcastle McDonald McDonald Jones Stadium, followed up with a game against the Dragons uh, on Sunday the 6th of March. Then we have the game against the Titans. And then we have a home game at McDonald Jones against the Roosters. Uh, must be some, I assume, part of a doubleheader or some sort of NRL-aligned uh, scheduling, probably. And uh, we close out the first part of the 2022 season, or the first season of the two 2022 seasons on the Sunday 27th of March against the uh, powerhouse Brisbane Broncos. I mean, there's no there's no real uh, way to read into this draw like the NRL in terms of strength of schedule and who you play twice and, you know, five-day turnarounds and whatnot because there's only six teams in the NRLW. But, yeah, start off against the Knights, close off against the Broncos. Um, and I suppose the game we've all got circled is that game against the Titans, mate, be able to get out and attend and cheer for our girls. Yeah, and I mean, I'd still love to get to the point with the NRLW where they all play each other twice. Um, I agree. I agree. That, yeah. But of course, it, it for that there needs to be a little bit more financial support for the NRLW players that they're um, they're players that obviously aren't full time professionals. Um, they have to find the time to be able to. Uh, it's almost like the the uh, golden era of uh, of rugby league players that had jobs outside of football, and um, the NRLW is treading that path as well. Uh, hopefully, heading towards full time professionalism. 
for themselves. Um, it'll be a big year for them because uh, there's going to be more weeks in the one season, as you said, with the two two competitions in one year that'll require more from them. But um, yeah, as you said, there's with everyone playing each other once. There's there's no trickiness to the the draw in that respect. There's no strength of schedule to worry about. Um, yeah, we're just looking forward to them being able to get on the field and showcase what they can do and and be able to see uh, the uh, women wearing the eels colours for the first time. Yeah, going to be very exciting tracking both those campaigns in 2022, but obviously the one that starts in March and plays through that. Uh, you know, early part of the year is going to be, add a lot of uh, extra spice to the first parts of 2022. So very cool. But let's jump across to the main NRL draw now. And it's a, another reasonably tough draw for our boys, at least based on 2021 results, 60s. Um, in terms of the spread, we've got 13 clashes uh, against 2021 top eight teams. Of those 13 clashes, eight are against current top four teams, which I believe is the highest or equal highest among that spread across the entire competition. Let me just find my little document here. One sec. My apologies. I think you're, you're correct there. It's yeah, so, equal highest. Yeah, so uh, we share that with the Roosters alone. Yeah, so us and the Roosters play eight uh, 2021 top four teams. Uh, 13 is also the second highest among top eight teams, so only the Broncos have it worse than us. And we share 13 once again with the Roosters, uh, with the Canberra Raiders, and with the Canterbury Bulldogs. So the Eels have been a little bit unlucky in that regard. They play uh, bottom eight teams 11 times, which is the equal second lowest. And they play bottom four teams seven times, which is the actually the equal highest with uh, the Rabbitohs, the Knights, and the Dragons. But bear in mind that the other teams, the median score there is six, so there's not a huge variation there. So, yeah, I think what we're, what we're looking at there is that the Eels um, get uh, the mid-table teams once. Yes. And tends to be. Um, last, this last season was extremely weighted against the Eels. Where we, along with Penrith, were the only teams to have to play every one of the top six teams twice. Mm-hmm. And um, it was... Uh, no other team had to do that except for Parramatta and Penrith. Obviously, it can turn out to be a different type of um, uh, top four, top six, top eight this year. You just don't know whether yeah, clubs there's, are going there's to There's volatility go between seasons, so strength of schedule is more of a guidance rather than an absolute metric. But it, it yep. is back-to-back years of, of tough scheduling for the Eels based on current results. In terms of teams, they played twice for 2022 uh, Storm, Panthers, Rabbitohs, Seagulls, Roosters, Wolf. Uh, then it goes Titans, West Tigers, Broncos, and Bulldogs. So some serious firepower in those first five or six teams. Um, teams we play once, Newcastle, Cronulla, the Canberra Raiders, St. George, New Zealand, and Cowboys. And I'll tell you what, none of those games there would you have been scared of doubling up on, wouldn't you? <laughs> no, no. Uh, um, in terms of notable fixtures... Um, it is our turn to host Easter Monday against the West Tigers. That'll be at the uh, newly dubbed Combank Stadium. Always great to have that one on the schedule. Um, our Darwin game this year will be against the Cowboys. Once again, obviously a popular draw up there. Uh, North Queensland being probably the you know closest geographical team to Northern Territory, and there's a lot of uh, leftover fans from the first and era Cowboys there. Uh, we take on the Sydney Roosters in Magic Ground. 
There's a bit of confusion as to whether that is a home or away game for the Parramatta Eels. I think the Eels website has it dubbed as a home game, but the NRL website has it dubbed as a as a away game. So, not really sure what's happening there. But Roosters obviously a, a you know big opponent for Magic Round, and then we get a new one this year. Um, traditionally, the Bulldogs would play the Dragons, I believe, on the Queen's Birthday long weekend Monday, but they're taking on the Parramatta Eels this year. So we get another little uh, feature game there up against a traditional rival, and um, I believe the. The other notable game was the Battle of the West, which is late in the season this year, up against Penrith in, was it round 20? Yeah, round 20. So, yeah, that's the uh, the notable games there. Nothing too out of the ordinary there for us, but it is nice to have the Easter Monday game for us back um, as a home game. Obviously, that's swap, that swaps out every year, so it's not a huge deal, but it's good to have a, what should knock on wood be a non-COVID, imp- non-COVID impacted attendance uh, Easter Monday game, which would be really awesome. Yeah, yeah. Well, mate, it's um, it, it starts to become real, doesn't it? We've um, and and I suppose this is where we uh, we're at the point now where we're talking preseason starting. Oh, yeah, I mean, and you you lay it right up there because it's November tenth as of recording here, and we believe that the club's back next week on the fifteenth, mate. And that's not just the NRL; that's the entire club, uh, cup, flag, and obviously the junior program is going to get into full swing too because they start earlier. In 2022, they're always ahead of the uh, senior programs. Yeah, and um, so we're expecting pretty much everyone to report in next week on the 15th, except for the vested NRL veterans. So that's guys that have got five-plus seasons in the tank um, or under their belt. And that means going to be a lot of people for you to be checking in and doing your reports on next week because we've got – we're you know we're uh, tipping to be uh, – like in 2021 preseason, there was a very healthy contingent of our young talent getting a taste of the preseason – we expect that to be doubled up this year as well, or this this upcoming preseason. We expect to see, you know, fringe guys like Curtis Scott and the like, you know, and, and you know, we've got a lot of guys that got a look in late last year, Kai Rodwell, Makhesi Makatoa, um, you know, all those guys, uh, Elsgeham, Ellie Elsgaham will also be in the mix too, you'd think. All those, uh, you know, cup guys that made a name for themselves in the 2021 season, they'll be back looking to, you know, further their careers. It's going to be very exciting for you, mate. Yes, mate. I'm I'm looking forward to it. There's always uh, players that put their hand up during that preseason. The one or two that you maybe don't expect, mm-hmm. and uh, it was certainly this time last year that we got the first glimpse of Isaiah Papali'i, and he didn't disappoint. He didn't disappoint during the preseason. In fact, he was an absolute standout in the preseason, and then carried that through into the NRL and um, uh, the other outstanding player last year in the preseason, Bryce Cartwright, mm-hmm. he, he justified that through with his form through the season. Uh, we had a great preseason from Jake Arthur, who, who then was able to make his debut. Um, it was just, yeah, it's, it's always exciting ch- checking out the preseason. We go through those, the parts that are, all the tough conditioning grind that the players go through. It's that sort of stuff. It, it, it's not the most exciting things to watch. I'm always, you know, champing at the bit for the um, the opposed contact sessions to start. And then you start to, <laughs> That's where you start, to get, yeah, that feel get the real insight. Of, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And then, then it's like, uh, from my perspective, when you see them getting into that and some of them, they, they, they put on the full gear so they'll they'll put on like the home against the away jerseys and line up like two teams and and battle it out. So it's not it's not contrived 
uh, opposed sessions. It's uh, it's they they play oh, them out. There's like, plenty to prove. Like, yeah. And like you said, you know, you mentioned the names. There's guys that have you know made a name going back to Murata. Um, you know, being a fringe player means nothing if you put in the effort and you show up on the training paddock. You'll get your shots. So very exciting time. Always see who's ready to stand out. Who's you know being working their tails off outside the club to hit the ground running in the preseason. It's always a a big telltale sign of you know who's really switched on. And um, yeah, definitely something to look forward to. But I think, man, you have prattled on long enough, mate, and we'll get an expert in to give us a bit more guidance on that upcoming preseason and beyond. Uh, let's uh, get Joey Grimer on the show, mate. Mate, we always love the the uh, the different and the uh, skilled voices like we talked about with the, uh, the Eels introducing this year. And so why not follow that lead? Bring Joey on now. Well, on this special day for Australians and for others around the world, Remembrance Day, it's uh, our pleasure to welcome uh, Joey Grimer to the tip sheet to talk us through everything that's happening in Pathways. Joey, welcome to the tip sheet. Yeah, good morning, 60s, and uh, g'day, Jono. Um, it's wonderful to be here on such a, a sentimental day for all Australians, particularly those who have um, given us the freedom and the powers that we have today. So thanks for having me on, Matt. Great to be here. Yes. Yeah, it's always that that uh, solemn occasion around eleven o'clock on the uh, the eleventh of November. So, um, just uh, ploughing on, mate. It's been a busy time for you lately. You've just taken a huge group through the induction process over a two week period. What were your thoughts on how that went? Yeah, sixties. Um, you both you and Jono were uh, invited to attend and to witness how the induction process actually is uh, conducted and I can say characodically that it was probably the most successful and most attended um, induction that we've done for a long time. Traditionally, the inductions are held before the commencement of, of training and the induction this year was done with our under-14s, our under-15s and under-16s development squads as well as our Harold Matthews, SG Ball, Tasha Gale and Jersey flag squads. The inductions are part of, um, um, I guess, criteria of compliance handed down by the New South Wales Rugby League. And some of the things that is covered are milestone dates, training times, training venues. There's a, uh, a decent chunk on COVID and restrictions and what we need to do to comply with this state and EELS regulations around COVID safe training. And the final part was um, uh, encouraging our players to provide the documentation that is required before they train. So things such as um, COVID vaccination certificates, um, their birth certificates, their passports, Medicare cards, healthcare details, things like that. So when we do commence on Monday of next week, um, all the preamble, all the administration, all the um, um, the compliance part is done and completed. So therefore, the players can jump into training and train up until our trial game or just before Christmas. Mate, it was an enlightening process for us to uh, be able to witness. And one of the things, besides all of that that documentation, that's now required, but. One of those aspects that w was really something I paid attention to was it, it's really like that that preparation for what's expected 
as they advance in the pathways, especially when you talked about um, the responsibilities that they have as representatives of the Parramatta Reels and what you're looking for from them when they're, when they're at training, what you're looking for from them when they're in situations when they're representing the club out in, out in the public or on social media, that side of things. It's, it's really an important part of rugby league, isn't it? It certainly is. And um, um, you guys were witness to where I was uh, talking about um, the club is not only about making you a better player, mm-hmm. but a better teammate. And the last part was a better person. And I just want to um, um, stay on that last part because most of these young men and women uh, will not make it into the NRL, and statistics show that. So if we can do two things, the players that do kick on to go um, into that full-time arena at the, um, the start of their NRL career, if we can make it easier for them to transition um, because Brad and his staff don't have the time nor the resources to teach them how to prepare to train, teach them what manners they need, teach them about the legacy that they need to leave for the next generation, um, then, you know, that, that's really, really important stuff and that's part of why we get through and that's why we um, continually talk to them about the roles and responsibilities and what's required of them as an Eels player. The second part, um, men, is that, um, as I said at the beginning of of this uh, paragraph, is that a lot of them are not going to make it. So the fact that we ask them as a a consideration or, sorry, as a, um, a normal part of their courtesy that if they are running late, notify your team manager. Um, you need to wear your correct attire at training. Now, a lot of those players won't make the NRL or the full-time scheme. So, in fact, what we're trying to do is prepare them for everyday life that you and I would lead. If they get a job and they're running late, they need to notify their boss. They need to wear their correct uniform if they're working for a company. So it just manages and covers all those aspects, not only rugby league-based, but certainly life-based. So it's really, really important. And you would have seen or um, that what we deliver to our under-14s development squad and our Jersey flag team is reasonably generic and the expectations are the same, similar to our procedures and our policies around social media. Um, the young men and women will be treated uh, in the same way And if there are sanctions or there are some issues about inappropriate social media practices with our juniors, they will be dealt with as similar to um, our NRL or full-time players. Yeah, I I, I like the... um that, that overall message that's there about those responsibilities. And, and it's not being harsh in saying to the players that um, the majority of the players involved won't go on to play NRL because it, it really is a funnel, isn't it, that there's, there's so many that start at that base, but then by the time you get to the NRL, it's only a small number. And the, the, it was a, an exceptional result last year or this last season when we had uh, four of the local juniors, young local juniors that were able to debut in the NRL in that one season. It's um, if, if you can get those sorts of results each year, you'd be doing very well, wouldn't you, with a with a, a development program? Couldn't agree more, Sixties. And um, um, we haven't had a season like we had this year with the development pathways 
Um, the last time we had that was um, 2019, where we had um, Oregon Kafusi, uh, we had uh, Dylan Brown, we had uh, Ethan Parry, and we had Hayes Dunster, and we had a virgin Stefano Uticormino. Um, so we're starting to make those um, transition for our junior reps into NRL a little bit more frequently than traditionally what Parramatta has uh, previously. And we would like to bridge that gap that we don't have to wait three years to transition or to promote from within our junior pathway players. Um, we would like to do that on a seasonal basis. And, you know, the numbers mightn't always be four or five, but if we can get, you know, twos and threes and ones and fours and fives, and we might have a freakish year where we could get a little bit more, it's just going to justify or it's just going to provide that um, um, opportunity for our local Bose players, which also um, saves in your cap. So the expenditure to purchase um, players from outside the district or specific identified players gives you a little bit more of a reasonable um, opportunity to spend some money. And that's why it's so important then that the, the message from the 14-year-olds um, is consistent with our flag because they might be, be that year that we're talking about where we could have five or six, we could have that freakish year. So if we can um, get the, um, uh, the courtesy, um, the respect and the expectations into these young men and women now, it'll put us in good stead for when they get into the um, full time, whether it's at our club or another club, or if they don't make it, it might just be the difference of them being a good person and not so much a good person um, in their everyday working life. Yeah, and and along the way, you create some uh, Parramatta aspirational players as well when you're creating them, when you're, when you're developing your own, isn't it? It's exactly. And young kids, I mean, I've got a daughter and I've got a son and they're a very... Uh, they're, they're a, they're an unusual beast. Um, when I was coming up and when we were coming up, we had aspirations to play for our club, the club that we went for, the club that we loved. Over the past 10, 15 years, um, young men and women want to reach the top and they don't really mind where they are. They just want to reach the top. And the analogy I can give is that we've had players in the past that just want to play first grade, um, but we would love players that are 14 or 15 to aspire to play first grade for the Parramatta Eels. And yeah. I'm sure other clubs um, would love their junior rep players playing for their NRL club. So that's all part of the big puzzle. And me being in this role for a short period of time of three years, we can see that shift and that um, um, movement about our players really buying in and loving the club that they are playing for in their junior, junior reps. No, it's a it's a long and uh, well thought out answer, Joey. Thanks, Johnny. When speaking of the junior reps, when we're talking with you about it, and we're often compartmentalising uh, each squad, so we'll talk about you know the the twenty mm-hmm. thirty players each squad, you know the yep. coaches and whatnot. But to give our listeners an idea of the actual scale of our pathways, which I don't think we've actually ever done, funnily enough. How many players and staff are involved across you know development squads? Obviously, the uh, the Matt's Ball, Gale, um, that entire pathways. There must be a, an absolute ton of staff and players that we haven't even accounted for. It is, um, uh, Jono. It's a. It can be a lo- logistically challenging in that um, we've got the biggest 
pathway development program in any NRL-based club, and uh, we're rivaling the biggest junior pathways program in the country, and we rival some AFL clubs in Victoria. So to give you the magnitude or the, or the size of our programs, we've got two under-14 squads, a north and a south. We've got two under-15s, a north and a south. Each, uh, each of those squads consists between um, 35 and 40 players. We only have one under-16s development squad, and we did this because most of our um, more seasoned and um, more gifted players of that age group are involved in our Harold Matthews program. We then move into that program, which is an under-17s, and then we go into our um, under-19s men and women's program, which are our um, um, SD Ball and Tasha Gale Cup, and then we go into our Jersey Flag program. So each of those programs have around um, 30 to 35 in our development squads, but our Mats Ball, Tasha Gale and Jersey Flag could have up to 40, 45 players. Each squad has a staffing group of seven staff, and that um, that um, combines with a, a head coach, two assistant coaches, a team manager, a head medical trainer, strength and conditioning trainer, a um, assistant trainer, and a logistics person. So there's seven uh, prominent people in there, but there's a uh, um, logistics person who does all the gear and and set up and set down. So um, um, we've got. It's the first time we've we've had the full staffing application uh, we felt that it was really important that each squad development squad feel like a elite pathways program and that would allow them to transition and feel like um, they are in a harold matthews sg ball tasha gale program um, what i'm really proud uh, to to say is that in 2022 um, we will be the first nrl based club that will have a 16s and 18s female development pathways program similar to our young men and boys it's a squad of 30 players all identified and selected from our junior competition um, our local junior league and they will be afforded the same program a 10-week program as our young men and boys are and they will have their own staffing group and from the um, combination of our under-16s and under-18s, uh, we will select a Lisa Fiola Cup squad, which will represent Parramatta in a standalone weekend in July um, of 2022. New South Wales Rugby League is still working out that logistics. So to give you an idea, we've got over 350 um, players uh, positions or um, allocated spots in our pathways and development programs and I have 91 staff that sit under my remit either full-time or voluntary. That's a lot of, mate, that, a lot of people. That, 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 is, that is a huge program, mate, and you've, and, and you've actually um, given us a bit of information of uh, a question that Jono was going to ask when it came when it, uh, about female pathways. Yeah, yeah. But before we, before we get to that, um, you mentioned just then that those development squads for the uh, 14s and 15s are, are 
re remain divided into the uh, north and south divisions, uh, north of the Great Western Highway, south of the Great Western Highway in yep. terms of uh, player and club locations. Uh, what's the advantage of that, mate? It's a really good question. It's something that uh, it's, a, it's a double pronged attack. Um, traditionally, Parramatta and, and Penrith um, have been um, had players taken out of their uh, pathways programs, uh, whether they were um, you know identified before our squads were picked, or they didn't satisfy or didn't make our development squads because you know um, the quality of player we have in our junior league. We felt it was a two pronged attack. One is that um, if we use the north and south um, analogy, and we use a north and south analogy where we can double our um, um, squad size with the under-14s, it would mitigate or prevent um, player 41 and onwards looking to uh, uh, participate in another district's um, programs. And we felt that over the last 10 years, we've probably been losing some really quality players that we didn't necessarily know their ability at that young age because, as you and your listeners know, that sometimes the ability um, can catch up or you won't, won't come to fruition until they get a little bit later in their football career. So it allowed us to capture um, an, an extra 30 or 40 players from within our district, which otherwise may have um, um, moved over to the border or moved over to another district because of a, um, a, a an additional opportunity that wasn't afforded to them here in our own backyard. So that's the the, the one concept. The other concept was that um, it, it it bridged the relationship or it um, helped us um, increase and maintain our relationship with our junior uh, community clubs in that um, where there may not have been a representation from a team um, or that, that didn't perform as well in first division um, or it allowed us to identify a number of uh, very, very good second division or third division players, um, it, it made, the, made that club feel more aligned with the Eels um, NRL club so that relationship management we found as a real win-win uh, um, when we introduced it last year. We have started to get a relationship with clubs that weren't in first division or didn't feature well in the top four in first division. So um, it opened those doors and allowed those clubs to feel part of the Eels brand. And the third point, and I touched on it earlier, it's really important that um, we identify the younger players because some of those players won't develop until they're 15 and 16. So we get, a, uh, we get some historical data on them as far as their, their skill, their size, their shape, um, their speed, uh, their level of fitness, and we use that historical data that we've only gathered, you know, for the last 12 months. But in two or three years, we'll be able to identify some trends and some patterns which will allow us to use um, in order to continue to recruit from within our community-based clubs. So it's a three-pronged attack, and I think that um, where we are this year compared to last year, um, you know, it's fantastic. The feedback has been overwhelming, and 
no more than the parents themselves because if you got someone from um, living in the Fairfield area trying to get to Kellyville Park on a 5.30 on Windsor Road opposed to yeah. going down the road at Cabramatta Oval, uh, the parents are cheering because they're logistically not challenged by, you know, leaving work early or, or whatever the case may be. So um, from that challenge alone, just having two venues, north and south, um, the parents are cheering and the, and the players are cheering. They're getting home an hour earlier than they would have given they were training at one central place. Yeah, it's certainly a, the uh, Parramatta uh, catchment area is, is massive in that Huge. Uh, if you're traversing north to south. It's, um, yeah, uh, anyone that's, that's ever done that, uh, would realise the the amount of time that's spent. I I think that I'm pretty central in the uh, in in where the catchment area is. If I'm going over to Cabramatta, it can sometimes take me for between forty minutes and an hour, depending on um, what the traffic is like. If I hit Windsor Road um, in the afternoon, if I'm just going up to Kellyville, it could it can take me close to the same as well. So yeah, it really mate. is important. Yeah. It really, really is important, and as I said, um, the, the the response and the feedback um, in many aspects has been overwhelming. Um, so we're really proud of that program, and hopefully, in three or four years' time, with the females uh, in the female space, the way that the registrations are going in the female space, we would love to do a north and south for a females for our sixteens and eighteens, perhaps. Speaking of the ladies, and you, you being the consummate pro that you are, kind of actually preempted me in your original question, or sorry, but the second question there. But I was going to ask you about how Parramatta are on their way to becoming a real leader in the females' pathways, and I was going to ask you uh, what was in store uh, in terms of the road plan for the you know elite talent, the the girls that you'll be having in the, the system like that, and you sort of already explained it with the new talent um, mm. squads there. So what I'll, I'll ask you instead is. Uh, how how much of this is all a bridge to creating that pipeline to the NRLW, much like the NRL has with its pathways? I think that it's, it's it's the bridge is nearly built, um, but there's one more piece to the puzzle. And if I start from the, uh, we've got the under 16s development squad starting 2022. We've got the under 18s development squad starting in 2022. Out of that squad, we'll pick the under 17s Lisa Fiola program, which is a carnival um, three-game weekend at uh, in July. So we've got our Tasha Gale Cup, uh, which is under 19s. So we've already ticked off 16, 17, 18, 19. Then we've got our NRLW program. Um, so excited about the inauguration of our NRLW. Um, one final piece to the puzzle is that transition from Tasha Gale Cup to the NRLW in that Harvey Norman uh, competition mm -hmm. and that's probably the last piece of the puzzle and I'm sure the club are working with a number of other clubs uh, what happens to the ladies that finish our Tasha Gale Cup program um, do they go back to their junior based rugby league club or do they go into that semi-professional um, uh, elite program whether it's with uh, Wentworthville, uh, Mount Pritchard, Cabramatta were in it I don't think they're entering a team next year and perhaps maybe All Saints Chingabi might enter a team. So notwithstanding that point, um, we've, we are the only club that have five female programs, um, 16s, 17s, 18s, 19s, and, and RLW. 
Um, so it's really exciting. <laughs> it is very, very exciting time very, for the club, yeah. Very exciting times. And the social media is going through the roof with, you know, some of the signings we've got, some of the um, uh, women we've got. Um, Andy Patmore's done a phenomenal job putting together a really, really quality, um, high-profiled uh, first-grade team. And we'll um, actually finish off this uh, segment with the girls. I'm going to leave that one in the 60s. But in the meantime, I'm going to talk a little bit about this year and moving into next year. Uh, we saw significant participation rates of some of our elite junior talent in the 2021 NRL preseason, uh, which would be in end of last year and then obviously into the start of this year. That then flowed into all three senior grades, which was the NRL, the New South Wales Cup or knock-on effect cup and the Jersey Flake, where that accelerated talent made significant impacts in each competition. Should, mm-hmm. we, should we be expecting more of the same in 2022? Is there going to be another crop of young kids? Obviously, some of the same, some of the kids that already took part will be back. But uh, we're going to see that emphasis on acceleration of um, youth talent again? That, that's certainly um, um, the way that the club's heading. And uh, I, I don't think we would have had the um, the outstanding results in four of our debutants or four of our players debuting in this year's competition if we didn't um, fast-track their development. If we played Will Penasini, Jacob Arthur, Sean Russell, Samuel Luizio in SG Ball for the entire competition and then progressed them up into the Jersey flag and then potentially into the knock-on effect cup, I think we would have missed that um, development gap and the intense training and the intense competition that they would have received having not accelerating them into the full-time squad or um, promoting them into the knock-on effect cup. I think that had, had a significant, um, significant um, um, actions on how they performed in the NRL when they debuted. So that would be the, 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 the purpose of the club moving forward, notwithstanding that if a player wasn't up to the physicality or the collision or the contact, um, then it's a duty of care issue and we'd put them in their necessary age group. Yeah. Um, to answer your second question, absolutely, there are some players that are ready to hit that um, that same sort of level. Uh, we've had four players identified um, to join the uh, Emerging Blues Origin um, squad um, and they'll go into a, uh, a New South Wales Rugby League training camp in a couple of weeks and that will be headed by Freddie, uh, Danny Badiris, Boyd Cordner, Mary McGregor, and Joey Johns. Players such as uh, Shawnee Russell, Will Penasini, and you can say the last name of Larry. Mwagu Tutia. Beautiful. And uh, Blaze Talagi. So um, we've got four of those young men already in the emerging blues. So that just gives you an idea of some of the uh, young men that, um, that are in our sites and in New South Wales Rugby League sites. And there's a plethora of other players who are um, of a young age but training with our jersey flag. And some of them will be um, playing and training with our knock-on effect cup. So it's pretty much a, a, a cut and paste of last year. But I actually think that in the next 12, 24 months, um, those numbers will be even um, um, improved greatly by fast-tracking the uh, development of some of these players. And mate, you, you you certainly just identified John there as a talent when it came to uh, 
pronunciation of the uh-huh. names. He's, a, he's an absolute demon when it comes to that. Not only not only for calling the games, mate, but also the uh, the live blogs where you're typing the names out. It's so it's brilliant. Um, he's a, he, 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 I don't know how he does it. Sixties. I don't know how he does it. He's a freak. It just flows off the tongue. Did you you, you get that uh, Muagatutia? Like just yes. bang like that, you know. It's uh, brilliant stuff there. Forty constant professional he is. <laughs> Mate, can we just have a look at the now? Um, because last weekend the Pathways players took part in their conditioning tests, and there's been some good reports that are filtering through to me. Can you confirm those uh, good reports that uh, I've heard since the weekend? Your mail is spot on, 60s. I don't know if you were in the bushes uh, watching the other week. <laughs> the, old but gilly, the old ghillie suit. <laughs> yes, but um, your mail's spot on. Um, last week, as part of um, further compliance from New South Wales Rugby League, historically, the New South Wales Rugby League have a series of tests which they collect the data. They've been doing this for an extensive period uh, for nearly you know eight or nine years. And with the testing there's a number of uh, the number of um, um, testing varieties it's called the spark testing the acronym is s-p-a-r-q s stands for speed p stands for power um, a stands for agility r for reaction and q for quickness so it's the spark testing model but the one that um, uh, gives you a real good understanding of the level of conditioning um, what is the uh, the old yo-yo test? And the all blacks, really all blacks love that one, don't they? Love it, love it. Um, the 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 best thing to come out of that was the results, not only on one program but all four program. Arguably, looking at the data in the last five years, um, all four groups, women included, um, were the fittest collectively um, that we've seen in a long time. Um, so your mail's correct. Um, the coaches walked away um, with a little bit of excitement knowing that when we start on Monday, the combined level of fitness, not only in each program, but collectively through our junior pathways, is going to be better than it has been before. And you know, as you know, guys being around rugby league, if you can give yourself a better sounding level or a you know, an opportunity at the start, it's only going to give you a greater opportunity to be fitter, faster and stronger uh, when you hit the ground running round one, round two, um, you know, into the pre-season. Perfect. So your information is spot on. What we also do, and I'm going to entertain um, your listeners, um, there's a test which is called CSX, and unfortunately I don't know what the acronym stands for. However, it goes for about eight minutes it's where a medical um, practitioner, a doctor, a physio or a head medical trainer will run through a series of questions on an iPad to each player. And each player needs to recall and revise and review and answer the questions that the medical practitioner or the medical person is asking them. At the end of the eight minutes, um, there's an algorithm within the program that gives that player a baseline um, measurement Therefore, um, we need that because if a player has been deemed to be have some sort of head trauma or is concussed, mm-hmm. um, they will be identified as a HIA and go off the field and conduct the same test. And depending on how that player 
provides re re results or answers the questions, it will measure um, that person against the baseline and with various algorithms and responses will determine if that player is safe to return to the field or if he's unsafe or she's unsafe. So that gives your listeners a little bit of a better understanding when you see a player get uh, taken off for a HIA, they have to sit down uh, for a couple of minutes, uh, regain their thoughts and composure. They undertake the, um, um, the HIA test and they'll measure that against the baseline. So that's why we have to do that. So at training, if a player is concussed or has some sort of head trauma or in a game, um, when they are assessed, um, the decision is taken away from that medical person and uh, it's uh, given by the algorithms and calculations and responses given against the baseline. Does that make sense? Yeah, it's, that's, it's a lot of insight into the actual concussion protocols, which is fascinating. because and, and shows that it's important all the way serious, through yeah. um, from junior football through to the senior football. Oh, it's incredible. And um, in the junior reps... Each game is watched by an official after the event, after the game. And um, a lot of the times um, we get letters of, uh, you know, there was a player that was knocked over and wasn't identified or there was a player that looked like he got a headshot. Why wasn't he bought off? So the level of duty of care by the New South Wales Rugby League um, is very cautious and they would rather... Uh, be very conservative um, in that way where we get we get a lot of communication, as do a lot of the uh, other junior league programs, about, you know, what was the decision process here? Um, you know, what was the outcome here? Why wasn't this person taken off? Why was this person taken off? Things like that. So... Uh, a lot yeah, of accountability. Oh, massive 60s. And, and so it should be. I mean, everyone's got a job to do. And I always say to our trainers, we're not playing for the NRL here and we need to be careful. And um, if you're 50-50, take the conservative, bring them off. It's it's not worth it. Yeah. And uh, going back to what you are saying before that, uh, for those that are curious, spark testing is a bit of a global standard. And I think it's a, it was an initiative spearheaded by Nike. So. It was. It was. You're 100% right. It was um, um, renowned. They bought it out, and I can't remember the NFL player. There was a superstar um, who initiated it with Nike. Now it's become a standard because it doesn't matter you, what, what results you get in Australia, you can measure it against UK and measure it against standards in the US and so forth. So it's a universal um, um, testing uh, periodization type of activities exactly so yeah really really cool way to gain insight into the sort of uh what's it called athletic percentiles of your squad so yeah yep uh very very cool stuff and now uh this this one was a, a bit of a scoop by the mole i think uh came out this week but uh there's been a bit of a shake up in the coaching ranks in the juniors and that goes across all the grades we've seen coaches promoted uh and whatnot but uh, it's been headlined by the rumoured acquisition of Simon Wolford as the head coach for the Jersey Flag. Uh, the Flag team itself is likely to feature a lot of new faces. Uh, so can you walk us just quickly through some of those changes from the head coach and down that you, you're privy to be able to share? Yeah, look, um, um, obviously with Brad, um, he's brought on um, Mary McGregor and um, uh, Michael Ennis to do some specialised coaching 
and training with the NRL squads. Uh, Ryan Carr, who done an outstanding job or has done an outstanding job since he's been here, will continue in that uh, Pathways program, bridging the gap from non-full-time to full-time players. Um, with our uh, jersey flag, um, unfortunately, I can't give you um, the official line on who that is because we haven't released it officially yet. Um, so I apologise for that, but we will be making an announcement very, very soon. But I can tell you that it is someone incredibly experienced um, in playing NRL. Um, so we're going to have someone that is uh, an experienced ex-player, someone that's coached in the Super League and someone that's reasonably hard-nosed and experienced in the world of rugby league. So uh, that announcement will come out in the next couple of weeks. And I'd love to give you a scoop, but uh, I'll get in trouble off the um, executive here, boys. So I apologise for that to you you and your listeners. Um, we'll ha still have the continued um, same people in our Tasha Gale in that um, Ryan Walker will head that program up, who's done a magnificent job. Craig Brennan has been promoted from SG Ball head coach into Jersey Flag assistant coach. Steve O'Day has been promoted from Harold Matthews head coach into SG Ball head coach. And Chris Howard has been promoted from assistant SG Ball coach to head coach of Harold Matthews Cup. So there's been a, a few changes there. And again, being the development club we are, we like to promote from within where possible. Um, and that doesn't a change with our staff. Joey, I've got to ask you a question to follow that one up. Why yeah. are you right now in Parramatta and not Abu Dhabi, mate? Because that was uh, handled like a world-class first-drop batsman right there. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe because I can't speak Arabic, I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> the Aussies could, could certainly use that sort of class in the batting lineup, mate. You handled that one like a pro. Thanks, mate. <laughs> <laughs> And we'll start to wrap things up for Joey here for the last couple of questions because we've had him here for a while. Uh, but um, we know, Joey, that the Eels get pretty much everything back underway uh, next week on the 15th, except for the vested NRL vets, the guys that have had five years or more service in the NRL. But in terms of our pipelines and the junior pathways, uh, they do start their actual uh, season campaigns next year ahead of pretty much every other competition. What are their key upcoming dates ahead of those 2022 campaigns? Yeah, so it's a big week uh, coming up next week. We've got our Harold Matthews Cup, SG Ball Cup and Jersey Flag Cup all commencing on Monday the 15th with our Tasha Gale Cup commencing on Tuesday um, the 16th. So all four programs kick off next week. Um, the Jersey Flag will train uh, four, four nights a week up until the end of December where they finish training on the 22nd of December. They'll have a short period off and they'll come back on Saturday the 8th of January to reconvene their training. As far as the um, Harold Matthews SG Ball and Tasha Gale Cup, they'll train between three and four sessions per week. However, the difference is that we'll um, travel to Goulburn on the 18th of December to take on the Raiders in a Tasha Gale SG Ball Harold Matthews Cup trial game um, so really important that we get a game in and then the players come back that week um, for the 21st and 22nd and all the programs are finished on the 22nd. Uh, similar to the Jersey Flag men, um, 
they all come back on the 8th of January and progress into the following week. Now, the New South Wales Rugby League has decided to bring the junior rep competition forward one week, which restricts the extra week of training that we would have normally had in previous years. So when we return back on the 8th of January, our first trial game against the Bulldogs is on the Saturday the 15th. Then we go into our Penrith traditional trial on Saturday the 22nd, node round on 29th of January, and then we go into round one on February 5th. So uh, we're just finalising the draw as we speak. It looks like, and you'll be loving this, 60s and uh, Jono, that the Harold Matthews and SG Ball will be aligned in where they play and who they play at the same venue. That is awesome news, yeah. That's really good. Excellent. Now, with with our development squad program, um, men, um, we'll commence our development squad program on Saturday the 20th, and the two training venues will be Cabramatta Oval and Kellyville Park, and we'll do a four-week program um, ceasing on the 11th of December, um, so only a four-week program before the year, and they'll return back um, on the 15th of January for every consecutive Saturday for the next six weeks. So this is our silly season for the junior reps from about October until April. Um, so there's a lot going on, and uh, can't wait to start on Monday. Well, mate, we're, we're going to finish up. Uh, after this massive podcast, and this is this is one of our biggest ones that we've had, but we want to finish with something that we normally would finish with you uh, in the uh, regular season, and that's a, a coaching type of question. Not mm-hmm. sure how how much you can answer with this one because I think it's a a unique situation. Um, the ladies in the NRLW have got a really unique year coming up because they've got mm. two seasons. A, a double premiership season and the a lot of the teams are still in that recruitment phase where um, they're not going to have full squads yet until they finish that uh, recruitment. So that start in, in February is that's not too far away in terms of what we might normally expect for a pre-season. So what is their summer pre-season likely to look like? Is it going to be adjusted for that, um, that early start to the, the season or is it going to be as close to business as usual as, as possible? What, what do you think is likely to happen there, mate? Yeah, I think – well, not think – I know our club with Dean Witters and Andy Patmore, um, they've been – uh, doing some training for the last six weeks with our young late or with our uh, NRLW. Now, part of the promotions that we mentioned before, Neil Dunkley, who is our SNC for SG Ball, highly, highly experienced person in the SNC field, has actually been promoted to our um, SNC for our NRLW ladies. Now, up during COVID, Neil was. Um, meeting with the ladies uh, quite regularly, two or three times a week, uh, online diet, nutrition, training programs. So from a Parramatta club, from a pers- our, our perspective, uh, we've been getting a lot of training into these women um, six or seven weeks ago. Going back to the recruitment part, 
Um, I really feel our club outside Brisbane, except exception from Brisbane, are uh, well versed in where we um, wanted to be with our spot numbers and our recruitment. So um, um, we're in a really good stage. Now, given that we have got um, a lot of girls recruited to our club and a lot of work has been going on behind the scenes by uh, Neil Dunkley and his training staff, um, when we do commence training at the end of December, early January, um, I feel that the transition part is going to be relatively um, smooth. But you've mentioned some things about the difficulty of 2022. 60s, not only are they going to have an NRLW season at the beginning of the year, and there's a planned NRLW competition at the cease of the year, in between those two NRLW competitions, most of those girls are going to go back and playing in Harvey Norman competition. But was it what exacerbates and, and, and mag magnifies the, the, the work level of these women is that there's a World Cup at the end of next year and most of these women will be featuring in a nation in the World Cup. Mm -hmm. So these, these ladies um, will... Most of them, a lot of them, will play in four competitions next year, NRLW1, NRLW2, Harvey Norman 3, and the World Cup 4. So part of the process, and I know in speaking to Neil Dunkley, in the back of his mind, he understands the level of scheduling and the workload that these um, women need to um, contribute or put in for 2022, which is part of his makeup in getting the girls or the ladies ready for the 2022 season. So a lot of thought um, process has gone into what the 2022 season looks for or looks like for our NRLW girls. But I tell you what, they're going to sleep very well in December next year. Yeah, that's a <laughs> mate, what a coup for the club to be able to call on the services of of uh, Neil Dunkley. There, it's um, yeah, he's uh, he's certainly got the experience behind him, and um, and just knowing that we're looking at that workload that the ladies have in front of them next season, it's um, it's good to know it's in such good hands. Oh, you're not, you're not wrong. And this is a guy with um, uh, Mal Meninga and Adrian Lamb um, eight or nine years ago started the or initiated the whole SNC training program and mentoring program in Papua New Guinea um, to get it to where the level of transition with those local engaged staff and where the footy is now. They've got, you know, the PNG Hunters um, in the Queensland Cup. They've got the PNG Kumuls, they've got the PNG Orchids, um, the female type. So the, the level of experience that he's got in both men and women, um, um, you know, seasoned and unseasoned age groups, we're so blessed to have someone like that um, working with Dean Witters and Andy Patmore. Yeah, and it, I mean, it's a uh, Witters and, and Patmore have a, like you mentioned, Joey, an absolutely massive year ahead of him. The fact that there's you know, two NRLWs plus the the Harvard Norman's Women's Premiership and the World Cup to help juggle all the all the ladies through and guide them through that you know insane workload. It's very exciting, but it must be also very nerve wracking for everyone involved. Too. Oh, 
couldn't couldn't agree more. And lucky Andy hasn't got any hair because I reckon he'll have no hair by the end of twenty twenty. I tell you what, that's that's got to be a common theme among NRL coaching and and the auxiliary staff is uh, advanced hair loss is always a you know a symptom of, of where you're at. So. Oh, which which NRL coach has got? Oh, Desi Hasler. Desi's yeah, got De- see, Desi's the exception hair. that proves the rule. He's pretty much the only coach that's got a, a magnificent mop of hair left. So. Hundred uh, percent, and, and Des is always uh, marched to a, his own tune there. So uh, maybe that's <laughs> why. I really enjoy talking to you guys today. We covered a lot of stuff off, and um, I hope your listeners um, got a lot about some of the things we're doing um, and some intricate parts about the CSX testing, yeah, the, the Spark testing, mate, and all that other stuff. Shine a light on some really cool stuff today, Joey. Um, and we're always yeah. appreciative to have you on and be able to, you know, do something that none of the other fifteen clubs have, you know access to so i hope fans are appreciative because we certainly are and it is really really cool to be able to get that little bit of insight into just the different uh facets of an nrl franchise because it is a gargantuan beast you know from top to bottom there are so many cogs and gears spinning and we just get to see a little bit behind the uh you know the the clock hands there to see how the machine works oh absolutely and you know it's it's not always easy and and we're always going to do things better and you know, Parramatta are traditionally known for um, successful junior pathways competitions, and there's a lot of things that um, um, we've improved from previous years, and there's some areas that we still need to improve, but it's an ongoing beast, and when you've got the magnitude of over 350 um, players and over 90 staff at four training, four different training locations in Cabramatta, Winston Hills, Kellyville Park, and Parramatta Marist, there are some challenges and you throw COVID in there um, and it, you know, just uh, exacerbates some of those challenges. But I can tell you, and I've said this a million times on uh, your wonderful podcast, that Parramatta, our junior pathways and development pathways staff are the best. And I know people say that's biased, but I've seen other um, staff in other districts in other development programs and, and elite pro, elite pathways programs and it'll always be successful at our club because of the people we've got at our club and i really want to finish on that note and um wish all your listeners a a, a wonderful um day on remembrance day mm-hmm. and um i thank you for the support that you guys have done for our junior pathways programs and look to um, continue that in 2022. Yeah, I'm excited to get out to some football and be able to actually attend the juniors again. Yeah, in me too. It's going to be awesome. <laughs> yeah, Go I'll, I'll echo that sentiment. All right, Joe, you look after yourself, mate, and we'll be in touch soon, okay? These are awesome. Take care to your, to your, um, to your listeners and particularly you two baboons. Good on you, guys. <laughs> I love you, <laughs> Cheers, mate. See you, guys. And speaking on that note, because I think we need to wrap up too, because you already mentioned earlier, this is a mammoth podcast. We've gone over two hours, so this will go down in history as one of our biggest, but there was a lot to talk about. And on that note, it is worth mentioning that first half of the podcast was recorded on the uh, 10th of November, second half of Joey was recorded on the 11th, hence why we uh, referenced some stuff that seems out of date in terms of synchronicity. Um, since then, it's obviously Remembrance Day, which is why uh, Joey shouted that out. And uh, since then, we've also had confirmation that Murata Niakore will depart the club at the end of 2022 to take up a four-year option with the Warriors uh, worth a reported $2.5 or $2.6 million uh, li- <clears throat> lifetime total value of the contract. So well done on Murata. Obviously, we, we mentioned before, it'll be very sad to see him go. He is now going, but uh, we're incredibly happy for him to be able to secure such a you know lucrative contract consummate to setting himself up 
uh, long term. So well done to Murata. We love him, and hopefully that means that in 2022 60s, we can see him off a premiership winner. Yes, it's worth noting that a lot of these contracts that have been talked about after the 2023 season, the Eels 2022 squad is very close to being uh, final at this stage. We've just had the uh, signature of Curtis Scott that's uh, going to take the squad up to probably like around that 28, 29 confirmed places, uh, whether there's another a player or two that will be added before Christmas, we're yet to see. But, um, yeah, will be a big season next year. We're expecting another strong uh, performance from the Eels in, in 2022. And as you said, we wish... Uh, Murata all the best for 2023 he's been a favourite of the Cumberland Throw as we mentioned earlier in the podcast and um, yeah sad to see him go but look set himself up for life and uh, yeah no dramas with that yeah absolutely and you know for the Parramatta Reels we, we sort of keep on keeping on there's other players to retain there's all the young talent coming through um, this is very much a golden window you know not so much as the premiership window been open but just it's a golden era for the Eels you know, we've, yes. the pathways are pumping out the talent. There's an established squad up at the top to help guide them. This is an exciting time. So enjoy the ride, ladies and gentlemen. And um, as always, TC will be there to bring you all the information from the juniors, all the information from reserve grade, and all the good stuff for the post-game content. So, yeah. Just- and I'm planning, I'm planning that we'll have a, another interesting, a very interesting podcast next week, mate. So um, I'm just trying to imagine, yeah, the, imagine the, if we had have been able to squeeze in our junior club this week into this podcast, oh. we would have <laughs> we would have cracked podcast records. Would, I'm sure it'd be the, like going be into the, three or four hours. The, the Joe Rogan experience just be you know sitting there yakking for three hours, and eventually the podcast comes to an end. Uh, <laughs> yeah, this this is a been a, a monster, but very fun podcast. A lot of information to dissect and disseminate, and you know, obviously with the benefit of Joe being on here, we'll be able to talk about some unique stuff. But yeah, loved it, and hope you guys enjoy it, even if it was a little bit long. And yeah, look forward to what's coming shortly because like Sixty said, there's some good stuff on the horizon as always with the tip sheet and some good stuff with TCT in general for 2022. But uh, as always, thank you for stopping by and listening. It does mean a lot to us. Feel free to join the conversation on the Cumberland Fro. Always happy to have a yarn via the old uh, chat box. Um, oh, and, and, and stand by. Training reports, mate. Yes, Training reports yes, will the start fifth, hitting next the week. The 15th, yes. So uh, I've got to get in that last minute plug there um so yeah things about to ramp up on tct so uh stick with us and um lots more coming your way we'll see you guys on the flip side keep well cheers